Welcome to week number 10 of the Coach Lou and Ice Show. What's up, Coach Ice? Yes, sir. Week number 10. Great show that we have in store for you guys this evening. Very dynamic, and I hope you guys all enjoy, and it's great listening and great special guests. So uh, we're looking forward to this show for sure and uh, getting into the playoffs next week. Yeah, this uh, season I feel has flown by. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's probably, it's felt like it's been the fastest season for me as a coach since I've been coaching the last, uh, you know, 10 seasons, but, uh, I don't know if it felt that way for you. I think it's because of the anticipation and the loss of us not being able to coach in uh, 2020 that we were just so, you know, so excited and so hopeful to have it and you know and then you get wrapped up in it and it just rolls and it, yeah it's it's just so weird to say week 10 yeah. <laughs> it really is so I, I agree cool cool well this week we had a a special a special episode you know uh we had a guest that you had a chance to interview. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to partake. I was at the Golden Knights game, but I uh, want to give a quick introduction of who you had a chance to speak with, and uh, we'll we'll go ahead and jump over to it. It was pre-recorded, so we're going to cut that in, but uh, you want to share who you spoke with this week? Yeah, I was the head coach of the College of the Sequoias, uh, Coach Travis Burkett. Uh, yeah, I can uh, proudly say became a good friend of mine and uh you know it was a great great interview uh i had a feeling that you know he has always great things to say and uh so the interview went i wouldn't say long but uh i i think just right you know and uh i hope you guys really enjoy it and part of the interview i i introduced him coach so we can probably cut that right in and then pick up after the interview perfect yeah and one other thing to note is Coach Burkett was the running backs coach at UNLV with uh, Coach Tony Sanchez for a couple years before, uh, you know, Arroyo came in. So a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, and uh, we'll go ahead and cut over to that and we'll pick back up with you guys in just a few. Okay, here we are with the Coach Lou and I show. I wanted to introduce tonight in week 10, a very, very special guest, a very good friend of mine that I had the fortune, good fortune of meeting uh, about four or five years back, and I'm very, very uh, grateful that we had an opportunity to become good friends. He's a person, as you go through life, you know, you meet some real good people that you're really happy that you became friends with. Uh, won't go into the connection that we had with a mutual friend back when I went to college, but there's always irony in life and I always say there's six degrees of separation and sometimes less than that. And so we were destined to be buds and uh, and I love them. But um, I, I really think that our listeners um have a great opportunity and we're very fortunate tonight for the week 10 show for the coach Lou and I show to have our special guest. This guest is a football coach for many years. He started high school, two years at St. Louis Obispo, two years at Bucknell college coach, 10 years at Cornell university where he did various positions, running backs, tight ends, special teams, five years as assistant head coach. And he did three years for some of you listeners 
uh, at UNLV as the running backs coach at UNLV for three years, and now is blessed to be the head coach at the College of the Sequoias in California. Our special guest for tonight is none other than Coach Travis Burkett. Coach, how are you? Oh, man, I'm feeling a lot better after that great introduction, Ice Man. I appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, thanks, man. And uh, every word you said is true, man. We're just blessed to uh, blessed to know you. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. Shoot, I think uh, four or five years knowing you, living in the same town, you know, in person, knowing you, you know, quote, unquote, day to day, you being right up the freeway. But I, I can't even remember now the first time I was recruiting to Cornell, Vegas. I think I started coming to Vegas recruiting. I think in the spring or February of 2010. Um, and I used to do my little loop, man. So we're doing great. We're doing really good and, and really appreciate you taking the time to have, uh, have me on the podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. And it's our pleasure as well. Uh, just to let listeners know, uh, Coach Lewis had a, a prior engagement where, and I'm, I'm recording this earlier than our podcast tonight on uh, well, Wednesday night with, with Coach Burkett. And we wanted to definitely get it in and, uh, Coach Burkett, uh, Coach Lewis is, uh, regrets that he could he couldn't make it, but you know, uh, hopefully, no, no the, per usual, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the future, we'll hopefully get you back on next season. We're gonna be doing some things, hopefully, some really stepping up with the Coach Lou and I show. But um, you know, let's get into a little bit of some insight. And uh, like I said, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity for our listeners to have a a, a former Division One coach and, a, and a, a, a seasoned college coach to talk a little bit about college football and recruiting. And like I've always said in our show, one of the underlying themes that myself and Coach Lewis always wanted to do on our show is to make sure that we're addressing recruiting because, you know, we we do say that our, our call sign kind of is, is that our podcast is is from a coach's standpoint, uh, we're fortunate enough to see film and see opponents, and it takes it on a little, a lot different angle than what we have here in Southern Nevada with most of the media forums, where we're actually active coaches, and so we do see film and whatnot. But that underlying theme has always been when I talked to Coach Lewis about putting the show together was recruiting. Then myself, Coach Lewis, if we could do for anything for any player in Southern Nevada, we'd like to do that. And I think this is a step in that direction by having you on, Coach Burkett. And so I guess I'll give you the floor and I want to lead in with my first question. And pretty broad, you know, and take all the time you need because I'm sure the listeners would love to hear every insight and everything that you have to say. Recruiting Las Vegas, we'll just title it at that, and, and, and the ups and downs and the realities of recruiting Las Vegas, Southern Nevada. Man, gosh, I mean, so I first got to know recruiting Las Vegas, like I said, February of 2010 at Cornell, and you know, when you coach at Cornell, you got to be real targeted, so I'd get off the plane, hit the beltway, do the loop, and it was basically you, Barnson. I would always phone um, Meadows or Lake Mead, see if they had a diamond in the rough. Then I'd head down and hit Wallapai and go to go to Faith and Bishop. And then go see Rich. You know, obviously he's a Rochester guy, so there's a connection there. And then loop into Green Valley and and maybe Centennial Silverado. You know, so of the 40 plus schools, I think in the Valley that play football. Last time I counted, there's about 40 schools that have high school football. I think, give or take. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit less, but that was the last number I had in my head. You know, I'd go see six or seven one day, and that would be my day at that school. And then the flip side is, 
you know, when you coach a school that has, you know, basically, basically minimum qualifier candidates uh, that you can recruit uh, carte blanche to your school, you know, big state university, whatever it might be, um, you know, there is uh, an opportunity to spend, you know, four weeks in the Las Vegas Valley. And what I mean by that is, you know, recruiting Las Vegas is so much about, and everybody always says recruiting one-on-one, who's the decision maker, who's the decider, who's the influencer, is it the high school coach, is it the auntie, is it mom, is it the counselor, the janitor at the school, who it might be. And I, in recruiting Las Vegas, especially when you can cast a wide net, I mean, you might have to spend a week tracking him or her down, you know, uh, with your in a contact period. And if you're in an evaluation period, you know, you might need to spend an entire day on the top guy that you're trying to evaluate, tracking him or her down, you know, legally, you know, when you're in that eval period in the spring or in the fall time. So I think that's really the first thing to talk about when recruiting Vegas is it is in many ways, not to you ice, you know, and not to people that got, get to know it, but it is in many ways uh, a transactional and a transient community in the sense of the word transient, you know, uh, movement based and, you know, I was with my uncle for six months on this side of town. I went back to North Carolina uh, for a year. I came back and then I went to basic. And then I went here. Um, so, I mean, there's guys that are great recruiters in college football that have lost track of their top prospect in the course of, you know, nine months in a calendar year, you know, just in stuff like that. It sounds kind of strange to say it, but it's true. So I think that's the first thing is, you know, the relationship based part of recruiting the connective part of recruiting, who's going to ultimately make the decision. I mean, it might take you a lot of effort just on the front side to even determine what the table, how the table's set for the young man you're trying to recruit. Um, the second piece I would say with Vegas recruiting is that anytime you're in a warm weather, sunshine place, um, there's competition for attention, you know, uh, and I think that obviously there's no place in the known universe where there's more competition for attention than Las Vegas. So I think you have to know that just part and parcel about young people in Vegas. It's not always true, uh, but that's a piece of it. Uh, the third part about it is, and I'm not maligning anyone's uh, chosen profession or where someone works, but last time I checked, there's a district in Jersey, there's all LA Unified, and then there's Clark County schools in terms of largest districts in the country. So I think from an education perspective, from a developmental stand, uh, standpoint, counseling service, psychological services, academic services, testing services, nutrition services, all of the above, you know, it's spread so thin in Clark County schools that the development piece for young men that you're trying to evaluate or identify, evaluate, recruit, and then matriculate at whatever level you know, you're going to have some underdeveloped guys, period. So the positive of that is there's high ceiling guys. The negative of that is you combine that with the transient nature of the community in some ways, you know, you're going to have some guys that are they ever going to hit their ceiling? Are they ever going to catch up once you get them into a four-year college program? So that's, those are just three things uh, to start with. I think once you get to know Vegas and recruiting, and you get to know guys like you and and um, Rich and, you know, obviously Tony when he was a bishop. And, and I think, you know, Cody was one of the first guys. You know, he was the head coach when I was a kid at Faith, I think. When I started recruiting there, you know, he's been there for so long. So there are great football people there, Iceman, um, that do know the game. Um, I think that 
uh, you know, obviously anytime you have a system in a small state where you have a North team that has inherent advantages, you know, Minogue or, you know, in, in any given year, and then you have a South team that has inherent advantages like BG in any given year, that kind of just, you know, there can be a talent drain for public schools, uh, bottom line in both cities. And so um, I think that's also another thing to, to be cognizant of in recruiting is that, you know, there's a way that um, guys can get lost in the shuffle because how do you really evaluate uh, three at Gorman that, you know, has five offers where, you know, he should be the one at, um, you know, Cactus Shadows, and but he'd never get recruited. So I know that's a lot right there, but that, that's where I would start. No, and I think that, you know, as I listen to what you say, I believe that I, I, a few words jumped out for me, and I think you'll agree, is that the recruiting, and sure, I've been here 22 years, 22 plus years in Las Vegas. Uh, two words that really jump out for me in the recruiting in Las Vegas is it's very diverse and it's very dynamic <laughs> and it's in flux in Las yeah. Vegas. And I think that the recruiters, and I, uh, I think they experienced that as well. And you firsthand walking into offices of coaches and, and looking for players. And like you mentioned, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's probably, <laughs> I mean, from a high school coach's standpoint, I try to kind of understand where the recruiters have come from. And I, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have very good relationship with the recruiters over, over my time here in town. And um, I think they all in some way or another uh, voice the similar sentiment that, yeah, Vegas is a place where there's a lot of talent, but you almost got to go clamming. You got to sift, <laughs> you got to yeah, sift yeah, them up to get down to it. Yeah. To use your strong, your strong Island terminology. Yeah. That, that there's no question about that. And I mean, it's like any place, the guys with the deep, deep, deep relationships uh, are the most successful. It's, uh, I'm forgetting coach's name, but he's a long, long time ball coach. It's, it's uh, Stoops' right hand man in Kentucky. I mean, Coach Stoops and that guy have basically turned that whole program around because they have deep, 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 deep ties in Ohio. There's 700 schools in the state of Ohio. You can drive across it in four hours, it's right next to Kentucky. And Ohio State and Michigan can't take them all. And if you do a great job evaluating three stars in that state and you have deep-seated connections and you know how to develop them, then you can flip an SEC program. And I think you look at what Hunky and Coach Horton have done at San Diego State. You know, they don't have a boatload of Vegas guys, but they sure hit on some. Right. You know what I mean? And when you can do that, um, you can really help your program. And the only way you can do that in my opinion, is you know either have to be really really good, um, or have a lot of years under your belt like those two guys do. Just to use them as an example. Sure, sure. Um, also, okay, so going forward, I wanted to uh, touch base on this, and, and like I said for our listeners, the theme here is going to be recruiting, and what I want to do is kind of you know I really appreciate Coach Burkett being here to shed a light on you know I know that you guys hopefully appreciate the angles that coach Lewis and I take, but here's an angle of a, a seasoned veteran recruiter, as well as college division one uh, college coach, and now a head college coach where, you know, I hope everybody can res respect the, um, the insight and the angle that he's taking. Uh, 
I would love to spend all kinds of time talking about the recruiting Las Vegas. And I think that there's going to be a, a, a lap over in every question, but I, I think I want to get into some other questions. So the second question I wanted to ask you coach, and I don't know if we need to spend as much time on, but I really would love to hear your opinion on this. And in a previous uh, podcast, coach Lewis and I had actually touched base on this uh, question. And I believe uh, if you recall coach Brad Talich, coach Brad Talich was a, uh, was a guest coach, um, on uh, the podcast and he chimed sure. in on it. And so I'm going to put the question out to you and the word is non-committal offers, yeah. non-committal offers from colleges to these players, which I seem, you know, it might be that way in a lot of places, but I will tell you this, it is very prevalent in Las Vegas. There's a lot of schools that come on. And when this kid had like 19, 20 offers, but in fact, how many are committal offers? Because I've experienced myself as a former head coach. Coaches tell me, coach, we're going to go ahead and we're going to offer Jimmy Jones. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm about to give him a call and let him know and everything else. I just want to let you know, though, coach, though, uh, that at this point right now, if he wanted to commit, we wouldn't accept the commit. But we are going to, in fact, offer. So I'll I'll give that to you right there and take the floor on that. Well, I mean, it's total BS. And one of the things that I'm most proud of being a part of you know, true division one, a scholarship recruiting, obviously specifically in Vegas with Tony and, and the staff and said was the recruiting coordinator and just great men that we had, um, you know, as professionals there, you know, we just flat out didn't do that, you know, period. And, you know, if, if you reflect on it, maybe we should have played the game a little bit more, you know, and, and I would never compromise my ethics or I know we wouldn't either. Um, that being said, there's probably a way uh, to do it where we, you know, we were pretty by the book because Tony was on the other side of it for so long. So um, it's total BS. I always give the example of this, you know, once a year at Cornell, because we would send out written letters, you know, like many schools do. And, you know, we did it in UNLV and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it, depending on what school you're at, you know, like a place like that at Cornell University, you know, certain demographics of parents are going to cling to that like it's a, $10 million lottery ticket, because in many ways it is. Um, and, you know, I never felt bad about that at all. To use that example, we would send out 250 quote unquote offer letters for a class of 30. But I mean, it was littered with very detailed language. I mean, just detail, not just disclaimers, but do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I think that's almost a better way to do it. You know, and if you really read Dabo Sweeney's letter that they put on Twitter, the kids do, or whoever it is, it's the same thing. It's not carte blanche. It's not when I decide to do all the things the right way, or, you know, uh, I get to take this offer to Clemson, even if I don't do what I'm supposed to do on the field my senior year. I mean, what type of a system? I mean, this is America still. I mean, there, there's no, I mean, you don't get to get what you think you want based on zero performance. So, I don't think that most people do it the wrong way. I think the verbal piece is what I'm getting at that is really, really what drives the BS of the system. A recruiting coach, an area coach, or a position coach, you know, is really doing that for themselves. They're trying to get their own name out there. They want rivals. They want 247. They want to create, I call them fugazis. They want to get become a recruiter coach, you know, get me an article on rivals or 247 um, instead of actually grinding and evaluating film, hitting 10 schools a day, 
being interactive with the area coaches that you're responsible for, clinicking the position coaches across the country of the position that you have expertise in. On down the line, everything you're supposed to do as a college coach, you know, it's a BS deal to answer your question. And that's why guys do it. Johnny Smith and Juan Smith and Joey Smith, they do it to get their own personal name out there. So when you get a class of 24 kid at Desert Pines in Vegas or at Liberty in Vegas getting 15 offers, that's because a bunch of sharks are smelling blood in the water and they see a kid that they can profit personally off of professionally in general. Um, and then I think some head coaches run a loose ship that they truly believe that you need to verbally offer 600 kids and it is what it is, whatever everyone knows what that means. Well, everyone doesn't know what that means. And so, you know, loose lips sink ships and people need to be cognizant of what they say. And I think that that's really what drives it is that, you know, when there's not a written record of it, um, whether it's a letter or an email, whatever the case might be, you know, it can get really weird uh, really quickly. So a non-committal offer, you know, final answer for you is BS. And, you know, a real offer means, and this is how we worded it every single time at UNLV. And really every single time, every place I've been, it's how we word it here. Even though it's community college, we don't have infinite spots. When we offer you, we want you to commit. There's an opportunity that if you don't commit in time, that time is relative to what time means to other people. That's really the biggest mitigating factor. So, you know, do with it what you will, young man. You know, we want you here. We're going to recruit you to get you here. Um, and the clock's ticking, ready, go. So um, there's always going to be some people that want to flip it to their advantage. And I would say as long as that, you know, coaches are clear and people are running a tight ship, you know, it's really not as bad uh, as some people see it. Coach Ice, the, it gets bad when a guy's trying to make a name for himself in that arena. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm really glad that you make that point because that's an enlightening point to coaches to players is that, hey, uh, Johnny Superstar on um, Liberty Pines High School, you know, you guess what? You have a guy, a lot of recruiters that, like Coach just said, are trying to get their name out as well, not just yours. So they're benefiting from the fact of that verbal. OK, and that's and that's a great point and a perfect segue into the next part uh, or the next question that I wanted to ask Coach Burkett is um, realistic interest. And I'll preface that by saying, you know, do you, if I could tell you in the in the 31 years of me coaching high school football, how many letters and I have no shame in telling you how many letters that. I found uh, like file 13 that I just wouldn't give to the kids or I would give to the kids. And I remember back, I worked at, I, I won't mention the program, but I it, it actually, and this is actually coach Burkett, you'll get a little bit of a kick out of this and I'll try to be quick on it to give you the floor back again on, on realistic interest. But I worked at a place where we would be in the weight room. We would stop the weight room when we got those uh, general letters uh, that most programs just send out because they pull a roster off of say huddle or some, something of that, uh, that affects or, uh, max preps. Right. And right. So then I'll have like, <laughs> you'll have a letter for like the 10th grade kid who hasn't even played a single down at varsity yet, but he got a letter from 
uh, University of State, you know, wherever it might be, and a pretty big, big school. And just the funny thing was, is that the coach, and, and I love him dearly, and we ran a great program, but this was one thing that took me back a little bit that I said that I would never do when I was the head coach of a program was right. he used to take those general letters and we used to stop and he used to hand them out and then say, okay, uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Jones here, you got a letter from Penn state and everybody go, Woo, yeah, yeah, you got to play through. And, and right. he hasn't played it down for us yet. And so that in itself is something where it's like these letters. And I've seen it so many times. I've heard parents say it. They're like, Oh yeah, my kid is getting letters from here. My kid is getting oh. letters from there, right? Yeah. And so oh, yeah. these letters, please, with these letters is all I have to say. And I'll and I'll 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 bring it back to the start. Realistic, realistic and realistic interest of college and is you as a player coach, your side of it. Um okay, so you know, being on the other side of it, if it's not handwritten, Iceman. It's basically, it's not BS, it's informational. It's a camp invite, it's a questionnaire, it's an informational piece. Um, if it's not handwritten, it's not a letter. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like a terminology issue, right? Yeah. It's almost like you wish people would just know how to use the English language a little bit better. Like, I think by definition, it's a flyer those things that coach used to just hand out in the weight room, even though they have a computer or a typewriter back in the day or whatever, a stamper that stamps Johnny ice to you from army, you know, uh, it's not a letter, it's a flyer. And if it's handwritten or if it's a, you know, pretty big time letter, meaning like, Hey, listen, Johnny, and it's, and it's printed or typed or computer whatever uh and it's like a specific game invite and then you know uh john smith the recruiting coach writes hey look forward to seeing you ice man at this game you know can't wait to get you on campus i mean that's a recruiting letter that's a recruiting letter um you're being recruited and i always talk about the recruiting process and i think again the terminology is so key identification evaluation and then matriculation and you know the salesmanship piece is the piece that binds evaluation to matriculation you know aka even at alabama you, know, you still got to do an application you're matriculating to a school of higher education you know and the signing of the scholarship the national letter of intent is what is what what binds that you know but there's a big bridge and a big divide to gap between you know once coach Saban evaluates the guys he likes and the salesmanship recruiting piece that binds that to getting the kid, you know, in the summer ball and summer school and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's really simple. If it's not handwritten, you know, it's not BS, but it's a flyer. And, you know, that's really about as cut and dry as I can make it, you know, and that's coming from a guy, you know, I've worked at some places now and, you know, whether it's email math stuff um, or hard copy math stuff, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff, but that's mass produced. You know, it's for a guy at any level, which even the guys at Alabama, you know, they sit down and they write the top guys handwritten notes because it means something. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably about as simple as I can make it, Coach. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the key things that I think the young men can look for 
it would probably be personal. Yeah. Uh, it's personal. And I try to tell the kids, did, did coach call you personally? Did, did, did coach write, like you said, coach touch base? Did he give you a handwritten letter? Did he call you? Did he come to the school to see you? Cause the proof is in the actions. Actions speak louder than the typed generated message you know and so therefore if you're a kid out there and you're getting recruited have a little checklist did that coach from nau did that coach from montana state did that coach from michigan did that coach from washington washington say it doesn't matter ucla did he call you himself did he give you a handwritten letter did he come to your school talk to your coach and say, coach, I'd love to run into this young man or coach. I'd love to see this guy I came here to see him. That's, that's the reality. I mean, am I wrong? You're, you're exactly right. And you just bring up a great point. I mean, I mean, I, I was just, I was just trained a different way to be honest with you. I was trained a certain way when I was a GA at Bucknell. And then I was lucky with the first head coach uh, that I had at Cornell. I mean, he's one of the best coaches in the country, Jim Knowles. He's a DC at Oklahoma state right now. And I mean, I was just telling the story to somebody last night, like, like uh, talking about how lazy people are in recruiting. Like the way I was trained as a young guy at 26, 27, you know, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 in my twenties, you know, I was petrified of not doing it the right way. I mean, it was, they, they were all, you know, not doing it the right way and recruiting professionally on, on the coach side. The way I was trained was like, you know, like firing squad offenses. Like you don't get back to Johnny Isis can't get through to you. Don't get back to his email about his kid. That's like, you're getting whacked. Like you, you show up at high schools unannounced without a list of guys that you already know, but, 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 but I'm going to go see Johnny Isis legacy. They've got these guys that are sophomores that we need to get in our system so we can start mass recruiting them. We've got these guys that are rising seniors that, you know, they're okay, but we got to make sure we love them up because, you know, they come from a great program and we need to see if we can help them. And then they got these juniors that one of them we might offer. I mean, I mean, that would be like fireable offenses, Iceman, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling to me. You bring up the old, did they come to school? It blows my mind. Guys get in a car, they go eat their nice steak dinners they ride around somewhere in the country and they just kind of roll into schools like that. That I mean, everyone has shown up at school unannounced. We've all done it. If that's your MO, I mean, that, that's a problem. That's a, that's a major problem. And I think key word here in this topic is integrity. It's integrity. Your internal motivation as a 20-something-year-old coach it was is that you were going to aim high and you were going to do it right. And you had your own and you internally knew what the bar was supposed to be set at, you were going to achieve that. You were striding for that. Uh, I mean, I've said this before in podcasts and touch and base on this subject that I have had big name, big programs, Pac-12, Big Ten coaches in my office that said, coach, you're not wrong. Um, some guys won't do their due diligence on a guy. And as soon as another program offers them, they jump in. It's like I always oh. found it. It, it, it was behooves me and it was dumbfounding that it was like all of a sudden this program just offered this kid after this program offered them and they never took step foot on the campus and I asked them if they ever even contacted the kid yet first contact was for an offer 
And it was so contrived yeah. because it was like, because UCLA just offered, because USC just offered, because it's, Arizona it's, State just offered. It's called piggyback recruiting. It's wild because now I coach at a place. This is one of the neatest things about the level we coach. You get to do so much football. You get to do so much programmatic stuff. And you get to do intake recruiting at a very high level. And you have to do outflow recruiting at a very high level. So it's, it's really kind of... I mean, there's no shortage of, of fun opportunities if you love football and you love coaching. And so we just had this conversation with some of our guys last night about, you know, outflow placement recruiting, getting our guys out of here because we had our opponent forfeit for Saturday. So we got, you know, we, we pivoted for the 18th million time and now we're in a, in a hybrid, you know, academic lifting slash placement recruiting, get on trips, you know, week and, you know, just educating our own guys here about, generic flyers that are getting copied and pasted into their Twitter direct message app, you know, invite, you know, quote unquote invites for a visit. And I'm going, Hey, Travis, that's not a visit invite. That's a generic copy and paste. You're allowed to come to a game if you want to let's oh. use the right. You know what I mean? So, oh, I know. And then, and then the flip side is, you know, like, for example, we got a young man heading over to the 702 tomorrow you know, and heretofore, the Rebs haven't been recruiting them. And I truly believe and have faith that once they get around this young man tomorrow and on Friday, I mean, they might go from not recruiting to offering. I mean, he's that impressive, you know, and it took a little bit of relationship grease, you know. So um, it really comes down to that. You know, it really does. It really comes down to on all sides of it. You know, you're never going to hire somebody hiring right in any profession any industry comes down to you know a feel and a relationship in a way someone makes someone feel you know whether it's a deep-seated relationship or an initial relationship someone kills an interview and it's really no different in recruiting yes sir well like i said i'm sure that anybody listening we appreciate the fabric and 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 the and just just where the angle uh, like I said on the Coach Lou and I show to get the you know, what I I just really appreciate for our listeners. Uh, I hope that they realize how fortunate they are to hear, you know, from this angle, you know, because they may never have been exposed to us. But uh, okay, uh, you know what? Let's uh, turn the page on. Next question for Coach Burkett, uh, and this is going to be one that I'm sure the guys have heard, but you can never hear it enough. And I kind of know where he's going to come from with this because I know coach Burkett pretty well and I know where his foundation is and I know where his heart and his mind and his soul and all these types of things. And I, I can almost verbatim know what he's going to recite <laughs> to you guys, but I'm going to tell you this, that you can never hear it enough coach. The key, the key things that a player prospect should know or the rules that he should follow to be a viable recruit into college. You cannot play without grades. I mean, we won't recruit you. They won't recruit you. And again, I'm doing both here, right? I'm not looking for guys. This is California Community College, top tier, high level college football, you know? And just because we can get anyone in here we want to doesn't mean we're going to. In fact, we're trying to kind of recruit 3.0 and above here, to be honest with you. And that may sound really crazy uh, and we're not hitting that yet because we don't have to 
Uh, so good for us. We don't have to pass on a guy that we feel like can be coached up academically. But that being said, even here, we value that. And to get out of here, you can't go to Division One without a 2.5 at least. And so every meeting we have, I go, who wants to be a Division One player? In every meeting we have, everyone raises their hand. In every meeting we have, we use that as a jumping off point to, oh, by the way, 2.5, for example, in the academic arena is a minimum. Oh, by the way, pressing weights two times a week in any time of the year is a minimum. Okay, and oh, by the way, you know, study hall, academic advisor, tutor, writing lab, math lab improvement, that's every day, every day, every day, your whole academic career there. So, yeah, I mean, that's A number one, as you know. Uh, a number two, you know, is just, you know, unfortunately, it probably comes after academics because academics are so much easier to measure. Transcript, test scores, attendance, talking to teachers, it's so much more measurable, so it's more in your face. Uh, it probably shouldn't come before A number two, which is just the character person evaluation. And I think that, you know, the reason why that comes second sometimes, because that's a little bit more of a qualitative approach, meaning you're interviewing people in the young man's life, right? The counselor, the janitor, the mom, the dad, the coach, you're interviewing them and there's no set formula for that. Um, and you're trying to create a narrative or a picture about a young man. So that, that character piece. And I think the subset to that that goes untalked about a little bit is the difference between just straight up, you know, bottom line, non-negotiable. You said the word integrity, ethics, you know, be a good person, do the right thing, overall character. And then how does that manifest itself in what we call football character? Does the guy love to study film? Are his toes always behind the line? Uh, is he dying to, as you use, you know, the word to me, you know, perfect his craft? Does he play multiple sports because he just loves to compete? Um, or does he spend his off season with his personal trainer because he loves to be coddled? I mean, what, where is this guy at from a football character, athletic character, competitive greatness standpoint? Uh, and I think that goes missed a lot. Um, and then I think, you know, something that's maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know, uh, existential, you know, kind of what's this guy's dreams, you know, what are his goals? What, what, what's his mindset? Like, is he a growth mindset guy? Is he a fixed mindset guy? Is he a, <clears throat> you know, committed no matter what to be an energy giver? all the things that we all believe in as coaches. Is he committed to be an energy giver no matter what or is he an energy vampire? Is he a, a, a lifelong learner type guy or are we going to struggle with that immediately? Is he a, a guy who needs you know, this setup to be successful? You know, as the SEAL say, a 72 degree and sunny guy or is he a doesn't matter, we'll play in the parking lot guy? You know, that's more just, um, you know, cat, you know, prong three, I guess of just like, how are you going to, you know, what are you, how are you going to get a guy through the funnel? You know, so grades, number one, character, number two, you know, with the subset being football character. And then number three, all the hard questions, you know, victim versus victor, uh, you know, tough versus not tough. Okay. What does tough mean? Doing what you're supposed to do, no matter what your feelings are. Um, 
you know, that's that's the third piece is how can you pick around and get to all those tough questions? Well, those are those are great insight and uh, a little little high school. Um, <laughs> I guess some adjectives that I would say that I think resonate with kids that they really don't understand sometimes until almost when it's too late is as a high school football coach, I think we've all said, and even on every level, film doesn't lie. Uh, not always the most important thing. And that other word is called have a motor, which I tell kids all the time is listen, when they truly are recruiting you as an individual, they want to see the whole film, not just the highlight film. Because they want to see what you did as the left defensive end when they did a toss to the right side of the field. And did you put your hands on your hips and observe the play? Or are you a sideline to sideline guy whose motor never shuts off? Because if I had a dollar for every coach, uh, football coach that came in and recruited said, uh, coach, we're looking for a kid with the motor. We love, Or on the other side, when they said, love this guy on film, this guy's all over the place. He don't stop. We love his motor, coach. So you players out there to listen to this podcast, the motor is real. Be running all the time because the film never lies. Yeah, I and this guy don't lie. And, um, you know, like you say, film tape don't lie, film don't lie. And, uh, you know, I think that that's what's so hard, you know, me trying to train a staff now, us trying to recruit together as a staff, the training I've received, you know, you being on that side, we're on this side trying to get guys out. Um, I mean, there's really, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know, I've never worked at Alabama or any, uh, but I study the heck out of that program every day um, from afar and other great programs throughout the course of the years. I mean, even at the places where you, you know, allegedly have all the advantages, you know, John Wooden's UCLA, we all know the story, didn't win it to the national championship until the 16th year. Uh, you know, Coach Saban's turning 70, I think, today. You know, he's not, you know, doing your best work over the course of time. I mean, kind of one of the things that I've noticed is the overarching truth is, you know, you just have to keep working. And what that means is, like, you don't get to have high motor guys in your program, Johnny Ice, unless you recruit a really big pool, no matter where you're at, because the question answers itself as any, would any football coach ever voluntarily want to coach a guy with a low motor? I mean, I mean, were we ever going to voluntarily give a guy a $250,000 scholarship or say, you know what, man, he's a heck of a kid, you know, does all his grades, knows where to line up ball snapped and he doesn't really run the football. No, please sign me up. You know? So, like, there's only one way around that. You better be working at recruiting every day, and you better build a big pool. Coach, I think Paul Johnson used to say it, amongst other people, was at Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech, you know, recruiting's kind of like shaving, which obviously I don't shave every day. I don't know if everyone shaves every day, but, you know, if you don't work out a little bit every day, you, you know, you, you look like a bum. You know, it's, it's kind of that simple. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, we talk about that. You bring up motor tape, don't lie. It's like, it's like you're always going to see that on a highlight tape. To your point, you got to study game film. At the same time, it's like, shoot, man, if you donged every guy that you know had every once in a while a loaf, and that was your standard, and you're trying to get there, which is admirable, you better have one heck of a pool, right? Yeah, your pool better be really big. So, all right, uh, 
right. And uh, in closing, the last thing I would like to do is give you an opportunity, Coach. And uh, again, I appreciate the time uh, and all the insight and everything that you've brought to the podcast for us this uh, this week. Um, I just wanted you to have an opportunity to close talking, talking a little bit about recruiting and kids in different levels. Okay, because what I do as a high school football coach is I've always been try to be as real as possible with the kids and say, hey, listen, the first question I ask every kid that ever played for me is, do you want to go to play college football? We understand the numbers, five and six percent of all high school football players go on to play any level of college football. I understand that. But I still believe, you know, aim high. Do you want to play college football? Second thing I'll say is, but be realistic. And what I've what I really like to do and what I think I did accomplish in, in my tenure at at uh, at Legacy was that I worked just as hard to get a kid into junior college as a D2, as a D1, as a D3, as an NAIA school that gives money to an FCS, to an FBS. And kids have to understand, and I know I go way back in the Vegas mentality. The Vegas mentality was if you're not yeah. getting recruited D1, you're D1, not getting recruited. D1 or bust, baby. D1 right. or bust. That's it. it. Yeah. You know, but the, the, the mighty dollar is still green, even if it's an NAIA school that says that they're going to pay for 75 percent of your tuition. Well, and you so, and Dan and Cody and Rich and Tony and some select other guys have really been a part in that valley of making that mentality just to just to cut you off and compliment you. You know, that's just a couple names, but, you know, some of the lead names of really making it you know, acceptable, not only acceptable, but not only admirable, but not only, you know, a standard to say, no, it's okay to go to Shattering State. It's okay to go to Southern Utah. It's okay to come over here to College of Sequoia. So that that's big, Coach. That's really yeah. big. Kudos and, to you. And, and, and speak a little bit about, you know, College of the Sequoia. Obviously, you know, um, this is your program. This is your gig. And, you know, uh, I mean, this is something where what I would say from my angle is that as long as I'm in Las Vegas, if there's kids that are out that are looking for a certain junior college situation and you're that right kind of kid, for me, I not only just have a friend in Coach Burkett, but someone I know that I trust that if I send an individual to College of the Sequoias, I know who's looking out. I know who's. I know how he's going to run his program. I know where his heart lies. I know where his integrity is, and I know what motivates. And you know, this guy that is on our podcast right here is is straight up aces when it comes to a coach that'll work for you. And I'm all about coaches that I know are going to work for their guys because. I, I, I it, it's personal coach you know it we're very similar in this mindset is that I don't want thanks I don't I don't need anything my intrinsic um reward is that it, it is something that I want to be able to help young men I want to be able to help them to change their lives and even if it's a phone call 25 years later to wish me Merry Christmas. Right. That's awesome. Because at the end of the day, if I help the kid to go to college, to get an education, to become a better son, to become a better boyfriend, to become a better father, to become a better husband, to have a better life. I mean, for me, 
that's what it's about. And I would say that I know that's where you come from, even yes, on sir. any level, any level of coaching, whether you are at Cornell or you're at the College of the Sequoias, I know that that's where you come from. So I would recommend any individual to take very serious, if you're in a junior college situation, to take a look at the College of the Sequoias. I appreciate that very much, Coach. And this is, this is not about uh... – it's not about us, but I just, I would just say this, that that's the thing, you know, you've done it for so longer than I've been alive. Basically. That's the thing that I I'm enjoying so much, you know, of all the hats you get to or visors you get to wear in this job. I mean, the recruiting consultant hat visor that you get to wear in this job is so neat. I mean, we're making, I mean, we're trying to get a guy to Johns Hopkins from college Sequoia's. When was the last time a guy from California Community College went to Johns Hopkins? You know what I mean? We're trying to get guys to be like, hey, listen, man, like, hey, hey, Johnny Ice, what do you want me to tell the Division I guys? You want me to tell the Division I guys that you have a decent attitude, uh, you're late every once in a while, uh, you don't love to press weights, but you're a nice kid, you do pretty good. I mean, you you think I'm going to say that to the Division I guys? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what are we really talking about? So that part right here, Johnny Ice, I'm just telling you right now, developing relationships based on, you know, um, that old phrase rules without uh, relationships equals rebellion, you know, being the same guy every day. And they know what they're going to get with us here as a staff. And we're going to be honest with them. So it's making, and we're kind of shifting that mindset where it's like, do you guys know how hard it is to start in the Mountain West? I mean, do you know how hard it is to, I mean, if you're, I mean, you know how hard it is? I mean, you got to be a dude. And I mean, you guys, I mean, we're trying to, so that part here, um, just talking about the different levels, Iceman, I think it's just so important for people to understand that, like, like you said, the percentages are small to play four-year college football, whether it's NAIA or Alabama, but how different every level is, right? You know, and what rules truly impact the reality of the decisions that are being made in those respective staff rooms, you know, and what they're trying to accomplish, you know, like the Fresno state AD, I heard him talk one time in a small group setting, you know, cause he's been, he's a really well-traveled dude, D2, D3, all American, all packaged, nose guard at UCLA as the player, a doctorate guy, you know, he's been everywhere and every level's different. You know, and knowing that and helping the kids with that is so critical and understanding like, hey, Johnny Ice, do you understand why I'm telling you that it's even more imperative for you to get a 3.0? Why, coach? Well, because you're a division three high level <coughs> football player and there's 280 division three schools. And some of them have facilities that are nicer than division one schools and have degrees that are nicer than division one schools, but they don't give scholarships. But you're not coming from a really well-off background. So you're a high-need guy. And if you get a 3.0, they'll give you an extra $10,000 academic grant. And they'll basically give you a full scholarship to go to the school. Really, Coach? So, you know, just all the misinformation or just lack of information, like you alluded to, being able to bridge that gap and fill in the gaps a little bit and to get guys where they're going to be successful. And I was talking to one of our linemen, the lineman that's trying to go to Johns Hopkins today. It's like, you know, hey, man, do I think you could play higher level football? Sure. You know, but you'll probably go to D3 and, you know, be a starting tackle right away and make an impact. 
And more importantly, you've identified for yourself and for me, you know, what's important for you. You want to be a nurse practitioner. Well, you know, going to, you know, little state on the prairie and for full scholarship in football doesn't help you achieve that goal. So why would we do that? Why can't we do everything, you know, from a person student athlete standpoint? So yeah, that's, that's my deal. It, it's, it's really just piggybacking off what you said, Ice, is that, you know, there's a certain amount of guys, usually based on height, weight, and speed, that are in the pool to receive FBS scholarships. You know it. I know it. It's really, really simple. Charles is an awesome kid, better football player, better person, human being at UNLV. The threshold of a measurement data point standpoint that got him into that pool of players was he ran a 10.57 at one point. That gets you over the line. If you're not doing that, you're not going to play running back in the Mountain West. Now, obviously, he's an extreme example because he's an elite player, but it's still the point. He didn't get over the hurdle without that measurement point. So you ain't going as high as you think you're going unless those little things are checked off. And all the other things that we've mentioned on the podcast tonight. And uh, it's great that a podcast that you can rewind and listen to some other key points. And I hope people will take advantage of that. Uh, Coach, I want to thank you so much for all the time that you've taken in your busy schedule. Um, you know, during the season, we're very, very blessed to have the opportunity to get you here. Um, and uh, like I said, I would like to, I would, I'll personally thank you as well as thank you to uh, Coach Lou. Uh, you know, we really appreciate you coming out on the show, the Coach Lou and I show. And uh, if there's anything you have in closing, Coach, I'd just like to say again, thank you so much. Love you, my brother, and uh, very blessed. And I can't wait to break bread with you again because oh, God man. knows we love that. Coach, lo love you too, man. And, and uh, you know, Genevieve, my wife, you know, she's blessed. We were blessed in the pandemic, man. We rolled out a – we rolled out of Summerlin South. I don't know what it was at April 28, 2020. We went to the coast, as they say in the Valley over here for the summertime, figure out what house we're going to buy. And then we came over here and they've been just building this program. And gosh, man, we just, we met, we love it here. Uh, we love what we're doing here, but we have such an inherent daily tie back to the 702 and the Southern uh, Nevada, as you say, in Vegas and everybody back there, because Jen's job is still there remotely. Um, and we just we love it there, man. We miss it. And, you know, I'm thinking about it a lot today because we're getting one of our kids on an official visit there tomorrow. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, no question. Like I said earlier to you, I can't remember if we're recording or not, but going to meet Tony there, hopefully in the offseason, do a little football and hang out and certainly see you at Cutters for a cheesesteak. Go see Red, you know, the whole deal, man. And we you know, when we moved there, Genevieve had never lived anywhere outside of central New York. I knew Vegas, but I didn't know no Vegas. And man, we just loved living there. We did. We loved everybody there and and uh, especially you and and some select few, you know, inner circle friends that we have. You know how it is in football. Yes, spent yes. A lot of, I spent a lot of time at the office and and uh, Jen did her deal and obviously she works too. So um, yeah, man, the, uh, just in closing, just appreciate everybody out there and and uh, miss everybody. And again, like I said, with the high school scene there and recruiting, you know, some really, really good coaches missing, you know, B. Stott, Rich, Oishi's out of Lake Mead. I mean, all around the valley, um, you know, it's just, 
it's an underrated place in so many ways. And I think the number one way uh, it's underrated is just, there's just super, super people, great people, great people. So appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. I miss you. I miss you too. And getting you out here. And like I said, I'll be making my way out to California too. You know, one thing I know coaches understand this is we spend so much time away from our own families that it's, it's really even hard to, to keep up with the fellowship of such great, men that you've met along the way in your life and the ones that you do keep up with understand that they are special and you're one of those special guys for me coach and i appreciate it and uh thanks brother love you man love you too bro and uh we will catch up with you at a later date hopefully next year good luck with the rest of the season coach burkett and uh for the coach lou and i show thank you so much coach burkett well that was a a great interview i want to thank coach burkett for jumping on the show really a pleasure to have him join us and you know talk about recruiting talk about you know kids and everything else that he talked about on on that uh segment anything else to add to that coach ice no just a lot a lot of insight a lot of wisdom and you know very articulate you know gentleman and uh great coach and uh hope you guys enjoyed that interview and that being said we are going to segue into the regular parts of the show which would be, we're going to get into our top 10, Coach Lewis. So um, starting with the top 10, we're probably not going to have to spend a lot of time on the top 10 this week, but I'll jump into it. And I guess I'll start with, um, you know, because we have, we don't have to spend much time. uh, I'm going to hit the first five that I had because there was no change. Uh, Still standing. Firm on my top 10, I have uh, Bishop Gorman number one, have Liberty number two, have Arborview number three, Desert Pines number four, Silverado number five. So that's where my top five lies, Coach. All right. I'm going to go with uh, Gorman one, Liberty two, Arborview three. And then I have uh, Green Valley number four, Silverado number five, Sir. and I'll throw my number six in there is uh, Foothill. Foothill. Okay. So I believe last week you had Desert Pine. So you have Foothill move to the number six. Uh, my number six is going to be Green Valley, Coach. So I have Green Valley after Silverado. And since you just mentioned Foothill, I have Foothill as my number seven. So you can shoot with your number seven. I have a DP number seven on my list. Okay. Okay. So uh, DP at seven. I have Foothill at seven. I am going to put Coronado at number eight. And uh, just as a reflection back because of the victory over Shadow Ridge, I have Coronado at eight and I might as well throw Shadow Ridge right where I feel they should be. Uh, Coronado and Shadow Ridge right next next to each other. Coronado in the eighth seed over uh, Shadow Ridge in the ninth spot uh, via the victory of Coronado. So Coronado's eight and Shadow Ridge is nine all right you know it's really I've, I've had legacy in my top 10 for the last few weeks they obviously had a tough loss against Arborview um but I guess the question that runs through my mind is my number nine and ten last week were Coronado and Shadow Ridge both 4A teams 
would both of those teams beat legacy? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I guess it's still, a tr that's the tricky thing with 5A, 4A is you don't get all of these matchups and you, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, but I, I do think based on the performance last week that our review had, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So I'm going to put Coronado number eight, Shadow Ridge number nine, and um, at number 10. Oh, that's where I'm at too, 10. So we're both at 10. Yeah. You actually, you can go ahead and give your number 10 first, and then I'll share my number 10 after. My previous 10, I'm just going to hold out because we got to have a little 3A representation in Brent Lewis and the and, uh, Moapa Valley Pirates. Uh, you know, it's always a thing. And, and, and in previous years, many previous years, Moapa Valley has played 4A schools before the 5A actually existed. And uh, and they always fared well. And, you know, we talk about those head matchups. So I, I'm still going to keep number 10. I'm going to keep Moapa Valley in a 10 spot. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm really impressed with how Vegas has turned around their season. Um, you know, Clark has been really tough this year, but they just lost to Moapa. And so I kind of go back to that same thing we've talked about is, hey, you know, if whoever I pick at this spot, do I think that teams that could arguably be in that spot instead of them would beat them? And so for that simple sake, I'm going to go ahead and keep Legacy in the top 10, but I'm going to put them at number 10. Number 10. And I know that's crazy because they have, they've, they've won, I think, two games this year. Yeah. But, but uh, at the same time, I just – don't know if any of those teams behind them would beat them. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I wish we had a, <laughs> an NFL season, right? Where we had 17 matchups and we could have them all figured out. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for us as coaches? But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of matchups out there that it would just really, really be great to see. I mean, you know, all the years in this town, all these teams were in the 4A and they were playing each other. And so in, in, in years gone by or in not too long ago, you know, all these questions would have probably been answered because you know what, the, the, the legacies and the Palo Verdes and the Green Valleys and the Silverados and the Coronados, they would have been playing each other. They would have, they, they, they did, they used to. So, you know, Hey, this is just on paper. What happens on the field is what happens on the field. And next week is playoffs. And so there's going to be in the five, a, there's going to be four representatives from the mountain, four representatives from the desert. And in the, in the four, a, you have your three divisions and there's going to be four representatives from the sky four from the desert, four from the mountain. And then the three, a, the playoffs are already lined up. I believe with the loss on Thursday night football last week, uh, Rancho uh, fell in a close one to Valley in a, in a, in a last minute score and Valley picked up the four seed to be in uh, to the three a playoffs. So um, that, that shaped that up right there. So, um, you know, top tens are made to be uh, made to be changed. And let's see if uh, some of our top teams can go wire to wire, uh, especially in the four a favorite Silverado, We'll see what they can do when the playoffs start next week. And we'll see what our, our number one seed in the 5A uh, Gorman can do in continuing their juggernaut of uh, unscored upon and um, scoring a lot of points and see see what they can do to hold up their end to see if they can stay in that 
one spot because uh, coach at the end of it all, if you win it all, are you not the one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and look, if you, if you win it all, you're the one seed. Uh, a lot of questions will be answered this week. And obviously next week going into playoffs, more questions will be answered. Um, this has been a really strange season to say the least. You take a look at DP who lost to our review in green Valley. You look at Silverado who's going into this week undefeated uh, facing a tough DO team. I know we're going to get to the picks, but then you look at teams that have had some really inconsistent seasons. You know, we never got a chance to see our review foothill. So nobody really knows how good foothill is. Um, we never, you know, we saw a Vegas team drop games to legacy and drop games to a couple other opponents that were shocking, but then come back and have some big wins over, over tough opponents like Durango, you know, and so it's just been a really uh, strange up and down year. And I think the playoffs are going to be fun. Oh yeah. They're going to be there. They are definitely going to be interesting. I'm telling you, I wish I could be in three games at once. Uh, unfortunately that's not going to happen, but, um, hopefully the Thursday night lights will be covering some of the games. Uh, so that at least gives us an opportunity to catch a, a, one other game after we record it. And then, uh, hopefully we'll be in the playoffs and, you know, we'll have that game to, to contend with. And then eventually as it comes towards the end, you know, you and I for years, you know, we're that those football diehards that we're at all those games all the way to the end, uh, you know. So uh, I look forward to that, too. Got to love high school football. So but uh, all right, we're going to turn over to start to getting getting into the picks here um, for week 10. And like we often do, we start week 10. Uh, we start the week off with the 5A. So I think I'm going to what I'm going to do is, uh, if I may, coach, we're going to start off with uh, probably the game that is probably the uh, the most interesting for you and me <laughs> and uh, something that I just want to just cover and just talk about. And, and of course, we don't make any predictions and I'm not going to make any predictions on this game. I believe last week I did talk about what the the gravity of the situation is if the outcomes of the Canyon Springs legacy and Palo Verde games uh, were in fact what they were and all three opponents had lost. So now it comes down to that, um, the matchup head up first and foremost, and then the points. So without any further ado, it was something that it's been on my mind coach that I just wanted to put out there, uh, you know, as far as, my feelings of what's going on as far as legacy in the Palo game when without, without making a pick, uh, I'd like to get started. And let, let me start like this, you know, I just want to start and say that, you know, it was a while back that I had something very, very, very important to, to me unjustly and prematurely taken from me and my family. Okay. And, and just a little background history as a young man, true story at the age of 13, I knew that I wanted to be a head coach. I knew that I wanted to be a high school varsity head coach. And when I became the head coach at legacy, 
on June 3rd of 2014, I began the process. And through that process, it was endless time, commitment, both physically and mentally, with all my heart, to building a football program, a football program that the school could be proud of, that the players could be proud of, and to the coaches that they could be proud that they were a part of that program. And I believe that I did that. You know, and honestly, what was people probably don't realize is one of the most important things, and if you know me like you know me, coach, if you know me, you know my heart, and you know that people on the outside looking in probably don't realize that one of the most important things that I could ever do as a head football coach was to be able to be in a position to help my players. And that is my, my heart. That is something that I've always, always, always meant a lot to me is I thought it's, what a blessing to be able to be in a position to help young men to help them to get into schools, to help them to college, to help them get in the military, whatever the case might be, to help them. And you know what? Even help the men that are on my staff to have their backs, okay? And this is something that I don't know if all coaches feel that way, but that was something that I always felt. And always, always was my my honor and, and my privilege to be able to do at Legacy. And, you know, even through some of the guys that we will play, and I want to mention a few of them, that they know, guys like Jason Burns, Andre Williams, Noah Lapati, Lionel Jones, Monte Pate, A.J. Malga, Damarian Holloway, and we know all the Holloway family, and many, many, many other guys that I would do anything for and it's not just they, those are names. Those are names in the present of 2021, but go all the way back to 2014 and go all the way back to 19, uh, 1999 when I opened up Desert Pines. That has always been my goal is, is to help young men. And, you know, that being said, you know, in life, unfortunately, and fortunately, when you're going through tough times, you find out who your true friends are. And I'd like to also say this to the men like Aaron Davis, Daryl Tootle, Chris Sedios, Mike Ovens, John Sarabia, and of course, my partner and my friend, AJ Lewis. I thank you. I thank all of them with all my heart. And I would also like to give, take this time to give a special thanks to Coach Joe Asneris over at Palo Verde, who came through as a true friend, that he came through in helping me to find myself to be in a good place, both mentally and physically, and as a bonus so close to home. I thank you all. I, from bottom of my heart, I thank you guys. Okay. Um, that being said, I want to say this to the men who have, I have come through for many times over. You may not understand this, but I thought you did care. And I actually feel so sorry that 
Some felt it necessary through this process to say sharp things, to throw knives, throw daggers, so-called daggers on social media and all other kinds of things. And I just say, wow, it's a shame that it, that it, it just, it wasn't necessary and it's not necessary. And to the men, both young and old, who felt it necessary to make inflammatory statements like bringing a trophy to the, to the game at Palo Verde to show me a trophy and what it looks like. It wasn't necessary. It was unwarranted. And unfortunately, it was a thing that was unsubstantiated and not even executed, but that's okay. You know, I'm sorry that you felt that that was necessary because it kind of wasn't. And I'll just leave it at this. And then I'm in closing and then I will hope to never have to visit again because I like to be forward moving and be stay positive. And I, and I think life is a blessing and everything happens for a reason. But I can say this, no one cared more about legacy football program and all of its players and coaches than me. No one, absolutely no one. So I turn the page to a new chapter in my life and I'm going to move forward. And like I've always said, I can look in the mirror and I know who I am. And even more importantly, I know what I have done for all my players, all my coaches, and all my friends. And I would say that to everybody who's listening or hasn't listened. Can you? Can you look in that mirror and know? Because I can. And coach, I'm going to close the chapter with that. I appreciate the podcast. I appreciate you. I hope it wasn't too long, but it was something that I just wanted to say in this matchup, which was kind of irony that I had said way back when I go watch, we'll end up playing legacy for the playoffs. And so here we are. And so I'd like to just put a exclamation and a period on that and close the chapter and move forward and let's uh, get on with our picks. And I thank you all. Yeah, no, that, that, that was well said, Coach. Uh, I'm going to add a couple things to it just quickly. You know, obviously I was there with you at Legacy for your tenure as head coach. And, you know, the things that are easy for people to forget are the years when we had nine and ten kids get, get money to go play football at all levels, NAIA, D2, D3, um, you know, any kid that wanted to play in college and, and took care of their business in, in the classroom, you were, you would advocate for nobody talks about the times when you hopped on a plane with, uh, the kids and took them out to Notre Dame. You know, nobody talks about when I drove a kid up to, uh, Weber, you know, to go to a camp in hopes of helping them get an offer. Nobody talks about, thinks about those things. We don't go publicize it like some people do and make it all about us. Um, you know, we, you know, we, I thought we built a, a great program at Legacy, worked hard, uh, you know, had great kids, was, was able to turn around the culture from a team that, you know, that, you know, had a, a little bit of a tough reputation to some kids that were just great kids and understand the value of hard work and, you know, earning the right to win and, and, you know, uh, competing at a high level and a perennial top five, top seven program. 
uh, in the state. And so, you know, you know, a lot of sacrifices went into it. And I just hope that that staff over there continues to help those kids because you and I know more than anyone uh, that those kids at Legacy uh, need people that can go to bat for them and that can help, you know, uh, guide them and help push for them to be able to go out and find new opportunities after school and after football. And I just hope that that continues at that program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. And as you mentioned things, I go, man, and boy, do we really like going to Boise. Yeah. <laughs> those, those, those long bus ride, boy, but man, we had good times. And uh, Coach Toodle, if you're listening, we love playing spades too, right, on those long rods. So, yeah, it is super memories. And and and, and like I said, in transition, I, I think even uh, Coach Monty, Zach over there, knows that – Hey, listen, when I departed, I, I left him by telling anything you need, you give me a call. And he took me up on it a couple of times. And so that's things that people don't know behind closed doors also. So, you know, let's move forward. And, uh, hey, listen, uh, I say good luck to Legacy and good luck to Paolo. It's great that they both have such a meaningful game at the end of the season. And, uh, listen, let's, uh, let, let, let's have a good one. And most importantly, everybody come out of it healthy. And uh, with that being said, Coach, uh, if you're ready, we can move on to uh, Liberty and Desert Pines. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, do a 20-second analysis of the game. Um, nice. You know, really interesting. Both teams haven't won in a while. Uh, actually, Legacy's won more recently over Canyon Springs than Paolo has. We haven't won since uh, September 17th. So it's been more than a month since we've won and uh, it's been, you know, uh, we've scored eight points in the last three weeks, playing without quarterbacks, playing without our top receivers, top threats on offense. And so, uh, you know, Legacy has played solid defense all year. They uh, had a couple key turnovers against our review last week, uh, interception return for a touchdown and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And so I think this game comes down to which offense can show up and really play a good game and, you know, which defense gives up the big play or two, I think will make all the difference in the game. So that's all I got. And we can jump into Liberty DP. All right. Well, Liberty Desert Pines in the uh, mountain division of the 5A uh last regular season game all games uh especially in the 5a and the 4a they all are in conference games um liberty desert pines uh desert pines beating liberty here would put a big wrench into the system considering the green valley beat desert pines but uh liberty beat green valley and uh if dp can find a way to, and I, I don't think I'm wrong by saying upsetting Liberty at this point. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll be having some interesting conversations uh, next week about what's happening for who's the one seed and all that kind of stuff. But um, in picking the game, I, I, I don't see the upset, uh, not because it can't happen. I always say that DP definitely uh, in this day and age right now, has the talent to beat anybody, that's for sure. Um, I think Liberty, they know what time it is, and they know where they're headed, and I know where they want to end up, and I know it's uh, 
it's a rematch against that uh, that BG team for sure. And I think BG is looking for that matchup too. And honestly, coach, uh, I don't think I'm making such a, a, a bold statement in saying it's going to be pretty hard to stop those two freight trains he- heading towards each other. But that's why we play the game. So we're going to find out in the weeks to come, right? But I have liberty in this game. Uh, I do believe that the DP is going to be able to put some points on the board. Um, still don't know whether they have a field goal kicker or not. So I'm kind of stuck between a between a 14 and a 17. Um and somewhere about that. But I know Liberty always is very motivated. Uh, Coach Morocco is definitely motivated to play Desert Pines and they'll be ready. And so I have Liberty 34 and Desert Pines 14. Yeah, Coach, the at the beginning of the year, I would have looked at this game and thought that DP could challenge Liberty. Um, as the year has progressed, I actually agree with what coach Talich said when he was on the show a few weeks ago, and that was Liberty has, has not pay, uh, played their best game yet. And even though it may be a little subtle and maybe even though it, you know, people might not talk about it publicly, publicly a lot, I think there's a little bit of bad blood between Liberty and DP. Uh, with you know kids transferring and things like that in the past and so I don't think there's any love lost between these two teams and uh, with DP losing to Arborview and Green Valley and taking a look at what Liberty did against Arborview and Green Valley mutual opponents yeah. uh, I think Liberty comes out and this is a statement game for them I'm going to pick them uh, 42 to 10. 22 to 10 and uh, and also uh, uh, to play into your score as well is Liberty just coming off of a bye so they had two weeks to prepare for DP so that always helps for a team like that as well is, is so that's 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 definitely going to something that's going to factor into it as well all right well let's move to the next game now this next this next game here the Foothill Falcons and Bishop Gorman. Bishop Gorman is making the trip to Foothill. Now I look at this game, coach, and, and, and man, I just look at it in two different ways. I say the success that Foothill has is great. They've beaten everybody in division, and so is Bishop Gorman. And see, okay, big matchup. Yeah, it is a big matchup. Uh, there's going to be some answers. And I know a lot of you out there know what the answer to the question is as far as is, is Foothill going to score? Is Fiddle going to score against Bishop Gorman? Because nobody has. Okay. Now, in a quick review of certain things, do I believe Liberty is a very, uh, not Liberty, excuse me, do I believe Arborview is a very good team? Yeah, I sure do. You know, the one thing that we never got the answer to, and I still don't know where this missing puzzle piece is going to play out, is that Foothill didn't get a chance to play Arborview. Okay, so we didn't have that mutual matchup. So Foothill, yes, they are undefeated in division, but they didn't play Arborview. Okay, so they didn't play everybody in the division. Taking that into consideration and taking into consideration mutual opponents and everything that's happened and all that kind of good stuff, we were there. It was only last week with Bishop Gorman. Um, I think that Bishop Gorman is on a mission. I really, truly believe, and then, Coach, I think we had this conversation, uh, it, and I know that I, I was talking to Coach Asneris about this. I think that this is extra motivation for Bishop Gorman to say, you know what, for any in city school that they're going to play that they have not let anybody score 
And I truly believe that they don't need any more motivation, obviously, than not winning a state championship the last time it was played. But I think that that zero that they're holding right now is going to be something that they're going to hold on to really, really hard. And I don't know if anybody matches up with them, Coach. If, if, if I was to pick a team now and I say that they're the number one 5A school, that probably means that I believe they're going to win state, and I don't think anybody's going to beat them. And in the pecking order of things, even in our top 10, I put Foothill as number seven, which is very respectable, but it's not, not next to the number one. So I might be wrong, but I don't think that Gorman is going to allow Foothill to score. And so I got zero for Foothill, and there's no knock because, listen, Coach Brown, there's no offense there because there's some pretty damn good teams that didn't score against them. Okay. So I'm going to have Bishop Gorman 52 to nothing. (laughs) I like the score coach. Uh, It's pretty funny because I congratulated coach Jones in a joking manner, our defensive coordinator at Palo. And I said, congrats coach. You held Gorman to less points than anybody else in the, in the city has. And, uh, you know, Gorman with seven seconds left on the clock, they called a timeout and kicked a field goal because they had they had beaten everybody else by 52 points or more, and they missed the field goal. So the final was 49 nothing. So I gave Coach Jones a little, uh, you know, funny congratulations, although there are no moral victories, especially not getting your ass kicked, uh, you know, but it was just something to poke fun at. But, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think Foothill – I think Gorman's kids are going to be highly motivated to make sure that Foothill does not get in the end zone, and I don't think there's anything Foothill can do about it. Barring one thing, they do have a good back. And if that kid hits a seam and, you know, you get a bad angle by a safety or he makes someone on the second level miss, there's a chance. But I don't think it happens. I'm actually going to take Gorman 56 to nothing. 56 to zero. Okay. All right. Now let's get into some other matchups. Arborview, the Aggies are traveling to Canyon Springs. Canyon Springs last week, um, I think they fell 31 nothing to Foothill. Okay. Um, Arborview didn't play Foothill, so can't get any analysis on that or any comparisons uh we were able to see arborview live against legacy because it was a saturday game um for arborview and coach you made you make a great point here as i think about it and i i I just I, i honestly pride is into play here i understand that you want to see who you're going to play in the playoffs and, and, and who wants to play who and all that kind of stuff. And right now green Valley's in the two seed and DP's in the three seed. And I, I really believe that Arborview probably wants to play DP again, but I'm sure DP wants to play Arborview again at the end of the day, throw all of that out. Does Arborview want to lose to anybody else? Absolutely not. Are they going to lose to Canyon Springs? I say probably not. And so I'm going to pick the Aggies. And I'm going to have the Aggies 29 to 7. Yeah, this is a really 
it, it could have been an interesting game. And I say that because if you think about the last time these two teams played, uh, Canyon had beat Arborview on the field and then they had to forfeit the game. And instead of rearranging the playoffs and everything else, you know, they just made it a forfeit and played the next, you know, Arborview moved on and Canyon was eliminated. So I know that there are still a lot of memories of that on the Canyon Spring side, uh, at least from a coaching staff standpoint. But this year, I don't believe there's anything Canyon can do about it. Um, I think Arborview is, uh, has been rolling along, and I just think Canyon is uh, down this year. They're young, and, you know, they, they haven't been able to they haven't really put together a great game this season, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do it against our review either. I'm going to take our review 35 to seven in this game. 35 to seven. Yeah. And just a little back, uh, back talk story. Cause it reminds me of when you mentioned of bad blood in games and playoffs, 2019 Centennial knocked off desert pines and, you know, do you, do you harbor things? And do you say, Hey, is it going to be a big, good matchup because they did that? It's kind of similar to what we're looking at at that game as well, because Centennial and uh, desert pines, that outcome in, uh, in week six was desert pines 42 and Centennial six. So I think similar, similar situation. I think you hit it on the head. Not much that Centennial could do back in week six and not much since Canyon Springs could do in week 10. Okay. So faith Lutheran at green Valley. Oh boy. Play a spoiler. Could they ever faith Lutheran going to green Valley though? The green Valley Gators. I think the green Valley Gators are a season team. We always talk about how well coached they are prepared, tough, tough kids. They, they usually, I would say, unless we were inside, and I saw something that I, I wouldn't expect. I think that Green Valley kids come to play. And I know you've mentioned that many times as well. I think that that's a hard trip for a, for a Faith Lutheran team who has, you know, last week they dropped a game to DP. They won a game against Centennial, dropped a game before, uh, you know, won a game way back then against uh, um one of those teams, uh, I think the Diamante Ranch or someone like that up north, but lost to Columbine. You know, it's just been a roller coaster ride. They lost to Canyon Springs. So putting all that stuff into consideration there, I'm going to go back to what I said as the Gators at home going into the playoffs and saying, hey, they're going to be the two seed behind Liberty. And uh, they're not giving that up. They're not giving that up. I got, I got Green Valley in this game, coach, 32 to 7. Yeah, this game, Coach, I, 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 a true, true statement for me is that I believe one of the best things that could have happened for Green Valley is that loss to Palo Verde because I think it alerted their kids to the fact that you have to play every game for four quarters and you have to finish and – because of that, I think Green Valley has elevated their game ever since. And uh, I think that they are on a mission to get into the playoffs, get to the second round of the playoffs, and, you know, have a chance to compete with, with one of these really, really 
good teams, uh, but we'll talk about that when we get there. But I think they're in this for a statement game. I'm going to pick them 31 to 14. 31 to 14. Okay. Well, with there only being 11 5A schools, and that is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 of them, uh, that would mean that Centennial has the bye this week. And so we're done with the 5A for week 10 with Centennial on a bye week and uh, probably not going in the playoffs because they dropped all their games. So didn't know this until now, Coach. But it, it now come to think of it, Centennial's uh, moving on to 2022. Correct, yeah. Centennial's been eliminated from the playoffs. The uh, other two games are just for seeding. So uh, Centennial, you know, they – they get an early head start on getting better for the future, and they got a young team, and I think they're going to be better next year, but uh, it's over. Yes, sir, and, uh, you know, we uh, always wish Coach uh, Dustin Forshe, you know, uh, well, and we know that uh, I'm sure that uh, he's going to take a little little break with his young son there and uh, enjoy the family and then get right back at it. And, uh, next year, we won't be talking about Centennial being so young anymore. And I'm sure he looks forward to that. So that closes out our 5A. Now we are moving to the 4A, where on the docket, the first matchup I have in the 4A, again, all conference games, is Coronado Cougars are going to be at Sierra Vista Mountain Lions. Um, Coronado. Coronado's hit hit its groove. Believe that they've won their last three games in a row. Uh, had that quote unquote upset game against Shadow Ridge. I know that uh, Coach Belitnikov is probably uh, you know he's like, hey, now is time. Let's go. It didn't matter what happened in the past, but as long as they win the rest of their games, then they become the uh, Southern Nevada champions in the 4A. So. Um, I, I, I don't think that uh, Sierra Vista could be a roadblock for him in this situation. You know, it's a, it's a Henderson-esque game. And Coronado, I, I, I think the next time the Coronado is challenged would be in the second round of the playoffs, Coach. Uh, so, therefore, I have Coronado in this one, an easy victory. Uh, I know that Sierra Vista can put some stuff together. So, therefore, I'll, I'll put Sierra Vista at 10 points. But I'm going to say that Coronado is going to score 35, 35 to 10. Yeah, one of the scariest things about a Coronado team is that I believe that victory over Shadow Ridge gave them the one thing that is most dangerous that we've talked about, and that's confidence. And uh, I agree with you. I think that they're looking to be able to play some teams that they've played before again and you know, uh, really do some things to put themselves in a position to to uh, make a run. But uh, I don't think Sierra Vista is going to be able to slow them down. I think they're going to score big points in this game. I'm going to take them 49 to 21. 49 to 21. Well, that's a close game. <laughs> margin of victory i have 25 well, let me see if i do quick math on you you have 28 we're not far off yeah. all right uh silverado the number one in the foray going into the clubhouse for right now looking at a undefeated season regular season right here versus desert oasis um 
like to give a shout out to Coach Ovens. Um, in definitely a, a matchup that Coach Ovens has definitely been looking forward to. Uh, fully understand that. Um, listen, Andy, Mike, the rest of the staff over there, Silverado. I mean, honestly, Coach, do we think that they're that Silverado's not going undefeated for the regular season? I'm kind of kind of say no. Uh, Desert Oasis, if I look back at the records and you see what type of scores they've had, you know, sure, they 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 did a heck of a job against uh, like a Cheyenne. But listen, I don't have to go any further than week nine. And I'm going to say, OK, Desert Oasis beat them 59. But wait a minute to 30. Cheyenne scored 30 points. I, I don't know if I have to look back in the records, but I do believe in coach. Maybe you can help me out on this. We don't even have to have the exact number that I get, but I could probably pull it up and find it. Uh, I think Silverado beat Cheyenne. I'm, I'm going to say that they probably scored like 58 or maybe more or something like that. But I want to say that Cheyenne didn't score a point on him. Not a single point. Do you recall coach? I, I believe you're right, coach. Yeah, well, that's where I say, you know what, this matchup, uh, listen, the stock kid at Desert Oasis doing a great job. I'll be honest, he just uh, as a point of conversation, Coach Burkett had mentioned him in the interview because he's looking at him strongly, trying to get him to see what they could do about getting that kid there. He's doing great things. He's, he's leading the city. He's doing all kinds of great stuff with that. Um, but, yeah just doesn't matter at this point Silverado will go undefeated against Desert Oasis a very highly motivated coaching staff and players at Desert Oasis and I don't think it's even going to be a good one because I think that uh coach Ostalaza is good friends with coach Ovens and he's going to pat the boy on the back and say I got you brother we got this and so therefore Silverado 54 to nothing <laughs> All right. This, uh, I mean, in all, and you know, in all honesty, this game is very similar to Palo and Legacy with one key difference. Uh, Silverado is healthy. Silverado is undefeated. And Silverado has beat good teams. Uh, and so I think that I don't have it as one-sided as you do, but I am going to take uh, Silverado in this game. I'm going to take them uh, 49 to 17. I was putting the four down before it came out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have Las Vegas Wildcats at Del Sol. Well, division game. Uh, some divisions not as strong as the other divisions. Uh, some opponents just not, just not ready, just not there yet. Okay. Uh, week eight, Clark, 42, nothing over Del Sol. Uh, kind of look back to see what Del Sol did last week. Maybe it was their bye week. No, no, it wasn't 38, nothing basic. Okay. Well, that's uh, 80 points and zero on the back end. Um, Vegas is kind of getting into their groove, as you mentioned, coach. Uh, so not a contest in this one. I think uh, Vegas scores 32 points. And since Del Sol didn't score against those teams, I'm going to say 32 nothing Las Vegas High School. Yep, Vegas is uh is going to be a scary team in the playoffs. I think that they're they've gotten better. I think that 
some of the assessment that we had on Vegas. Probably I had a little stronger than you did, but, uh, you know, I thought Vegas was going to arguably be the favorite in the foray. And uh, I think that they're getting better and they may be dangerous. So uh, I'm going to take them. Uh, let's take them. 41 to zero. Ouch. Okay. Well, hey, no, no, uh, no hard feelings to Del Sol. It is, you know, listen, we're in week 10 games. It's probably easier to pick coach. What do you think? You know, week 10, you have so much bodies of work previous that it, 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 you don't surprise anybody when you make certain picks. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and how many games are actually still tight. You know, you have Chaparral, which is the next game against Cheyenne. Uh, don't believe each, either one of them will be going to the playoffs, but they're playing out their season. Um, 30 points last week by Cheyenne. Uh, this is a tough one, Coach. Honestly, I mean, not a lot of um, meaning, except for there's a lot of meaning for the kids and the coaches of those programs, uh, especially to finish strong at the end of the season, especially for seniors. You know, you're at Cheyenne, seniors, last game at home. Got to mean something. Chaparral, seniors, last game. Man, some of those things factor into it, and these guys might come out to battle. Um I'm I'm having a hard time making a pick though on who 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 it is. It, do you have a score off the off the top of your head, Coach? Well, I look at Shap. They're one in five. They did play Do um, pretty tough, which is something that's that stands out to me and that's interesting. Uh, but then when I look at Cheyenne and I see that they uh, also. Play, they, I don't want to say they played Dio tough, but they did score 30 points against Dio. Um, I, I, I'm going to give the edge to Shap in this one, just looking at mutual opponents. And uh, I think that Chaparral may be able to make a play late to win the game. I'm going to take them in a tight battle, 28-27. Nice. Yeah, he almost read my mind there because I was thinking about that. They're probably going to score points because the seniors are going out like that. And so I kind of had them at a, like a four score each and a one point victory. Uh, I don't think we've matched all year, but I'm not ashamed to say that I like it 28 to 27 myself. <laughs> so we got the same score. <laughs> one point. Yeah. Chaparral. Oh. And now watch what will happen if Cheyenne will win 28 to 27. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Basic at Clark. Yeah, it's a nice matchup here, Coach. It's a nice matchup. You know, Clark has played, played Moapa very, very well in Moapa. I know that you were quick to point that out to me. And yeah, and, and I give credit to Clark for playing them as tough as they did. Uh, the final score last week was 35 to 28 in Moapa. Um, I had Moapa at 39 points, so I was close on that, but I had Clark only with six. You added a 28 to 21. Okay. Um, listen, earn my respect a little bit going out to Moapa. I know how I've been there. I, I know they did a great job. Uh, I know basic does what they do, you know, and listen, coach Cahill, they do a good job over there. I know there were 38, nothing last week, but that was Del Sol. Okay. Uh, they had some tough games. If we go back, you know, you had the basic Durango game lost in overtime, 12, six. 
I think it's going to be kind of one of those, but I think with a little bit more points, I think it's going to be very close. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, Clark has just been proving it all year long. I think Clark edges them out in this game and in a, in a retro um, kind of a memory score for us, I'm going to have Clark 21 and basic 20. I, uh, I look at this game and Clark has been impressive. You know, they only have the two losses, one big loss uh, to Vegas earlier in the year. And then I think it was Vegas. Let me just verify that. And then the loss last week at Moapa. Um, obviously, Moapa is a team that's capable of beating most schools in Vegas with the exception of a, of a few um, yeah, the Clark's big loss was to Vegas, 41 to nothing. Uh, I think that this game is uh, – I think Clark is going to have the edge. I think this game is going to come down to uh, offense. You know, I, uh, I know that both teams have played good defense at times and also have not played good defense at times. So I think this game is going to come down to which offense comes out and executes and scores more points. And just from looking at Clark's body of work, I think they're more capable. Uh, I think they're going to win this game 28 to 17. Oh, I was so close. I was saying it. Saying it. I'm going, Coach Lewis is going to say 28 14. He's going to say 28 14. He's going to say 20. And I hit the 28. 28 17. Damn, I was close. You see, I see, I know my partner. When he starts talking a certain way, I get numbers. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm already making I'm, I'm already. I'm already the bookmaker on it. I'm like, okay, here it goes. <laughs> All right, Mojave at Bonanza. I tell you, I I got to be honest. Uh, Bonanza impressed me last week, man. They they put a, they put a little showing together because you know they they scored some points. They scored some points last week, which was which was which was pretty good for them. Uh, I'm I'm trying to look at the score. Oh, here it is, right here. It was 40 to 22, but Bonanza scored 22 points against Sierra Vista, and you know we know that Sierra Vista, you know at times they could play pretty tough. I'll just say this flat out: if Sierra Vista picked Mojave, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm off base in saying you would pick Sierra Vista, and I know I would pick Sierra Vista. Um, Bonanza scored some points there. And so off the heels of scoring the points and finishing up and no playoffs on the line and playing for the seniors and all that good stuff that I mentioned and at home, I'm going to say that the Bonanza Bengals are going to get this one against the Mojave Rattlers. And they, what they scored 22 points last week, um, uh, against the Sierra Vista team. I think that, you know what? I think they might score 28 points against Mojave and Mojave gets 14. Yeah. You know, Mojave started off really the season really strong. You know, I think, I believe, tell, correct me if I'm wrong, they started off three and oh, and they've kind of fallen back, you know, as the season has progressed and Bonanza, um, I think Bonanza has been getting better. Um, I can see Mojave winning this game. I really can if they show up and perform like they did in some of the games early on right. in the season. Um, I guess the slight edge for me is going to be the, the, the home team, although this is high school football in Vegas. So it's not like, uh, you know, being 
in Texas or something crazy. Uh, But I just think there's a comfort level of when you're playing at home and, you know, you, you know, it's an emotional night, senior night, you're playing for your brothers, you're playing for your guys at their last game. Um, So I'm going to give the edge to Bonanza. I think this might be a a shootout 31, 28. That'll be a good game for the fans. For the Bonanza. Okay, Bonanza. All right. And then the last uh, 4A game on the docket is Sunrise Mountain at Cimarron. Sunrise Mountain at Cimarron. Okay. Uh, just in reflecting back, I want to see um, what happened last week. Cimarron was at Chaparral. And Cimarron beat Chaparral 27 to 21, coach. And uh, that's a good rise right there. And, and for, for, for Coach Caney over there, finishing strong, Cimarron, um, trying to pick up and leave in the, in the right place. I was able to see Sunrise Mountain play uh, a couple of times, one time on the Thursday Night Lights. Uh, you know, tough, just tough situation. Um, I, I just think that uh, – Coach Caney over there at Cimarron, they're at home again. So this is going to be another one of those games where I think the home team is going to be the victor in this situation. And it's a nice finish for uh, two teams that are not going to the playoffs. Cimarron not going to the playoffs, but uh, they're going to finish with two wins and they're going to be Sunrise Mountain. And I think that they are going to beat Sunrise Mountain 32 to 10. 32 to 10. Yeah, Sunrise has had a tough year this year. It's never easy when you go over. Um, but, you know, that's those, it's years like that where, you know, it causes you to reevaluate in the offseason and really uh, find a way to get better and, and change your approach in the offseason. So that way uh, you can come back better and more competitive the following year so um you know shout out to the sunrise mountain kids who have played all year and competed and uh you know competed hard but i i agree i think simron has played you know played well against um some tough teams and they've they've pulled out a couple uh wins and a couple upsets and i think i i actually consider that win against uh chaparral and upset slightly yeah. Um uh, but I'm gonna take them in this game. Uh I'm gonna take them thirty-four to zero. Oof, thirty-four to zero. And just something that I put out there to the to the fraternity and something that Coach Talich had alluded to. Um continuity in the program. I don't know if I'm exactly right on the numbers, but I do believe five coaches in eight years, you know, at Sunrise Mountain. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough for everybody. You know, there's definitely a recipe for success when a coach is at a program for, for an extended period of time. So that closes out our 4A, and we are down to the 3A. All right, 3A. Slam Academy is going to El Dorado. And let's see, El Dorado last week, I don't think it, I, I, matter of fact, I know uh, 
without even looking at the score, I believe that they got shut out. Uh, as I look at it, yes, they did. Perump came to town and beat them 40 to zero. Uh, we both picked Perump. Um, we had it close. So L Dog let us down a little bit in the, in, in the scores. Uh, 40-0 is, is, is something. Slam's been doing some good stuff this year, and they're not going to have to travel nearly as far um, without doing any research on a, on a Pahrump-Slam matchup. Uh, I'm just going to say that Slam wins this game. Uh, I don't know what went wrong with the offense at Eldorado last week. Uh, we know that two weeks ago they had that big victory against uh, Boulder City. Um, which which Eldorado is it going to be? Their home, which I think will maybe get the offense back on track a little bit against Slam. So I'm going to give Eldorado 13 points, but I'm going to have Slam score 28. 28-13. Yeah, that, that what completely changed my opinion of Slam was their victory over uh, Virgin Valley a couple weeks back. And, you know, I think that um, Eldo has been very inconsistent, to say the least. They, they're two and one in league, you know, so they're going to be in the playoffs. But I just, uh, I just don't think that you can be that inconsistent against a, a Sunrise team. I do think that the coaching staff will get Eldorado up for this game, it being senior night. Uh, you know, I think that they'll make a big deal of it and it'll be an important, uh, you know, thing to factor in. But I just think that Sunrise, I mean, uh, Slam Academy um, is going to come in and handle their business this week. I think the final score is going to be 35 to 17. 35 17. All right. 35 17 Slam Academy. Next matchup um, is a matchup. Uh, again, it's going to be just all about the seniors things. Uh, one team is an Ofer in Western and Rancho, I believe what they have one victory coach. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It was El Dorado. Uh, Rancho, uh, lost a close one on Thursday night lights to Valley high school. Uh, thought they really had a shot at that game. I actually thought that they, they, they probably dominated the game a little bit, or well, I should say dominate. I think that if I, if you look at, if you look at four quarters, you look at 48 minutes, I think that, uh, last week Valley <laughs> Valley might've won 12 minutes of that game and Rancho won. 36 minutes of that game, but they hit the right minutes <laughs> and a lot of turnovers and other things and ends up going to the playoffs. And now Rancho and Western are playing for really nothing. Uh, that being said, uh, I don't think Rancho's trying to lose to Western. I, I, I you know, I hate to say, well, I know they're not trying to lose. Uh, I don't think that they will lose to Western. Um, Western probably doesn't offer. And uh, hopefully, again, continuity, they get some things going and get better and like to see them start competing uh, next year. And uh, hopefully growing will help that to happen, but not this year and not on Rancho's back. Uh, I got Rancho in this game 24 to 6. 
Yep, I'm I'm on the same side with you in this one, Coach. Um, I think Rancho is just a a slightly better team. Uh, I think that Coach Evans will get those kids ready to roll. They've shown some they've shown some positive uh, play this year uh, at a, at a lot of different times. You know, being able to score points, being able to play good defense, and I think that they win this game on their senior night. Um, I have a pretty close score to you. I'm going to take them uh, 35 to 14. All right. 35 to 14. Rancho. Um, all right. Next game is Pahrump at Valley. So now, you know, Pahrump made a long trip. <laughs> Pahrump made a, a long trip over to El Dorado and put up a 40 spot and with zero. And now Pahrump's coming to... Pretty close, Valley. Uh, I, I think they come to get another victory, Coach. I think that Pahrump's going to play Valley. Valley is going to – I know they're not going to rest on their on the laurels that they made the playoffs with the victory over Rancho. Uh, listen, they, everybody wants to go into the playoffs and with good momentum. I'm sure Coach Burtz, Quincy's getting those guys ready, and they, you know, big victory on TV. Nice victory, nice game for them. Come back at the end. Beautiful. But – uh. I think that Pahrump's getting ready for the playoffs in the, in the 3A, and I don't think they're ready to say that they're not going to have something to say about the results in the playoffs. And I think it starts on uh, on Valley's back. And um, so I don't see it as, one, as one-sided, but, I, you know, Valley didn't put up a lot of points against Rancho. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say 32-7 to Pahrump. Yeah, uh, Pahrump is tough. <laughs> Pahrump is tough. We know that that Pahrump, Virgin Valley, uh, Moapa, all tough teams. And uh, Slam has entered that, you know, conversation as well. And, uh, you know, Valley, I think they've, they've had some positive spots during the season. But for the most part, uh, they've struggled, you know, for most of the year. And I think that Pahrump uh, beats them in this game. Uh, 21 to seven. 21, 21, seven. Okay. And last but not least, oof, oh, this, I, I believe yeah. they call this rivalry. What is it for yeah. the hammer? Is that what it is called for the hammer? Am I wrong on that or am I right? I, I think you're right. And I, I, you know, I've been anticipating this game all year, but uh, I, I'll, I'll wait to speak on it until you have a chance. Virgin Valley at Moapa Valley. Virgin Valley Bulldogs, Moapa Valley Pirates, 3A since the beginning of almost time. These two, not far from each other, and that's not often the case that you could say about Virgin Valley and Moapa Valley playing anybody. But they're not far from each other, and they are definitely rivals, and they play for the hammer. And uh, listen, I mean... Virgin Valley, they, they've had some matchups. I just reflected back. I know that they beat Western 52 to nothing. Virgin Valley had a 20 to seven victory over Valley. Um, you know, Virgin Valley's had some games. And then we talked about uh, uh, the respect that was given to slam in that victory, you know, and so I'll stop right there and I'll say, okay, coach, we talk about matchups all the time. Slam Moapa, these type of things. Who wins? I say Moapa. 
Slam beat Virgin Valley. It's uh, easy math. Uh, I still think, you know, you can, a lot of times you, people say you can throw that all out the window because it's a rivalry game. Oh, there's a lot of things you can throw out to the window, but you're not going to throw the better team out the window. Uh, the better team at this point is Moapa Valley. Uh, I believe they're looking to, uh, I don't think they ever played that out of state team way back when. So are they not undefeated? Moapa is undefeated. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, again, super highly motivated when you're playing at home for your seniors and you're an undefeated team. You know, you it, that makes kids play. Undefeated is a nice thing. So uh, I stay. Wapa Valley is going to stay undefeated. They're going to they're going to keep the hammer. And Virgin Valley is going to Virgin Valley is going to put up like 17 points because it's it's a rivalry game. But Wapa Valley is going to put up 32 points. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this game at the beginning of the year, as most do. And if you if you you know pay attention to three A football, you know that this is always a good matchup. Um, I actually, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year and even through week four or five, I would have said that I think Virgin Valley is going to have a real shot to win the game, even with it being in Moapa. Um, but that loss to slam, I cannot get over that. And I think that Moapa is a team that does not waver. Uh, they play their game no matter who they're playing. Obviously, senior night, their kids are going to be emotional playing the rival. And, you know, Coach Lewis knows how to get his kids up for this game. And uh, I think Moapa handles their business. Uh, I, I do think it's a battle early, but I think they pull away late, 28 to 14. 28 to 14. All right. We almost both have them as a 14-point victor. You know, and that's going to do it for the picks this week, Coach. Uh, uh, glad that it's not coming to an end because we're going to have some interesting, interesting playoffs and stuff. Obviously, we're not going to have uh, 16, 17 games on the docket starting next week. Also uh, want to put it out there that we are uh, extending an invitation to Coach Talish to be with us throughout the playoffs. Um, I'm going to try to confirm that uh, this week, maybe as, uh, as soon as tomorrow, if I can. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that for sure. Um, but, you know, as usual, at the end of it all, uh, listen, I hope everybody got a lot out of this podcast. Uh, again, we'd like to thank Coach Travis Burkett for being a part of it. Uh, as we've said before, I know sometimes these shows go long, but our fraternity of coaches and the diehard people that are listening to it um, along, along the year, you know, I hope you guys appreciate all the content that, that we have given you. And like I do at the end of every podcast, I just want to close out by saying it is an honor and a pleasure uh, to work with Coach Lewis on the Coach Lou and I show. I'd like to thank everyone who's tuned into the Coach Lou and I show and stay blessed and stay safe. Yeah, Coach, right there with you. Uh, you know, I think it's been a uh, it's been a fun season, been a fun regular season. Uh, you know, a little different capacity this year than in years past. And, uh, 
Um, you know, just looking forward to, you know, everyone staying healthy this week and the playoff picture getting really clear after uh, Friday and getting into next week and seeing uh, how things start to shake out. And uh, we'll see who's still playing next week and who turns in their pads Friday. Sure. All right. Thank you for listening. See you on the next one.